Hey podcast land, welcome to episode 18 of the Harmonics Community Podcast. First up this week, we've got a crazy social segment where a bunch of us sit around and recap our thoughts on the Lost series finale. If you don't want to hear spoilers, you'll want to skip ahead. Check the time signatures below. Next up, Mr. Pope sits down with project lead Chris Foster to talk about Green Day Rock Band and get all the ins and outs. After this, we've got a sneak peek of my interview with Paul from the band Silver Scene. Finally, we wrap everything up with a crazy DLC discussion in the first ever DLC sinkhole. See you next week. So Thresher, I'm sorry, what are we doing before I interrupt you with terrible sound effects? We, we're doing uh, the Harmonics Lost Recap. This is our weirdest social segment yet, and it will probably be filled with lots of spoilers. Hey, before we start, I've got a really good spoiler about Lost and Rock Band. Mr. John Drake uh, worked his heart out to... Uh, get us a couple of Lost-related tracks in Rock Band Network. So we've got You All, Everybody, which I know Casey and I have wanted since the beginning of Harmonics. By Driveshaft. By Driveshaft, Charlie's band. Uh, and we also got Dharma Lady by Geronimo Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> a little more of a deeper cut for, for Losties. I love it. Uh, should, we, should we introduce ourselves? Oh, yeah. I guess since there's only six of us. Oh, my God. Like the <laughs> <laughs> Don't whisper so quietly that the microphone can't hear you. Oh, it picked it up. Yeah. We are like the Oceanic Six. Yeah. Whoa. Who's For realsies, though, this isn't Saeed. This is HMX Casey. I'm Dish. That's <laughs> Jeff Dishman. He's one of our illustrious QA testers. This is his first podcast appearance. It is. Uh, I'm HMX Milo. HMX John D. Craig. What up? <laughs> and Thrasher and Pope. Yeah, yeah good team. Was... So, so we're here to talk about the Lost Finale. Uh, how'd you guys How'd you guys feel about it? I don't know. You don't know? Not sure. Not sure. I had a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Milo has not slept since the. No, no, I, I slept. I just can't think about it. Okay. Or else I can't sleep. I haven't been able to think about anything else. I had sort of a sad realization, like, uh, I, you know, I dropped out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in harmonics for three years. Mm-hmm. My longest relationship was three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been following Lost every week since day one for six years. This is the longest I have ever had, like, stuck with anything. Wow. Are you the guy yeah. that sent in the message they aired during the commercials that this is my longest committed relationship? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a real emotional experience, like, for me, outside of the actual content of the film. Interesting. Um, hmm. I hadn't thought of it like that. This week is actually my six-year anniversary with my wife, Hannah. Hmm. What's more important to you, Hannah or Lost? Hannah. Uh, well, that's... Oh. That was I, you didn't even hesitate. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> sorry, guys. So, I like Lost. Um, I like Lost. Because like, I, like, <laughs> I like Hannah a lot, but if I had to choose between Lost continuing another two seasons and yeah. murdering your wife, <laughs> I'd probably oh. actually have Lost then because Hannah's, Hannah's a person. But I think about it. <laughs> longer than you did just now. You're yeah. not her spouse. Let's oh, flash, let's flash sideways. Let's call it sideways. sideways. The only thing I've been able it to call it was a sideways world. Though. Right. No, it was uh, it was limbo is what I've been referring it to because I think yeah. purgatory is like a little too Judeo-Christian and yeah, like, well, and also, yeah. yeah, that's dumb. Um, I'm Catholic, so I call it purgatory. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Except the uh, purgatory wow. hasn't existed in the Catholic Church for a few right, years. Right, you're Danteist. Oh, yeah. it's getting historical. Allegarist, as it were. <laughs> but the the actual finale, I thought, was like as 
as an episode, it was like super emotional and it was yes. super tense. It was great. It was like a really good closer to the season. But I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm like really satisfied with the way they ended ended the show. So I am. Um, first of all, I haven't had a real deep relationship with Lost. I've always really enjoyed it. But almost every week, I'll be like, oh come on, like something will happen in an episode, or it's like, oh it's. That's silly. It's not, it's not like, in my opinion, it's not the best show on TV. So I wasn't so invested that they needed to hit a ton of marks to make me happy. Um, so I was really happy. They basically wrapped up almost every character in a really cool way. I feel like that's, that's the point I really have. I really have a point of contention with. I'm right. sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, like every, every different person's story, I was like, oh, look what they did then. These two people are together now, or whatever, and it made me really happy. And then there was the ending, which is, uh, is the island something that existed only in Jack's mind as he was dying or something? Or was the no, island reality? No, I was real. The island was reality. You're an idiot. No. I'm oh, asking you a question. <laughs> I was joking. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, 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 I mean what's, so wrong. what's funny is that, like, you know, None of it's real, right? Like, <laughs> like everyone talks about this. This is something I run into in comic book culture a lot. People talk about like what really happens. Well, none of it really happened. Yeah. Christian Christian has that whole talk with Jack at the like right in yeah. the episode, and he says everything's real. Like everything you experience is real. This is real, and that was real. Yeah. So I don't know if you can like if True. you can if you can have that. Debate. But do you think in the end the way they framed it at the end of the series that. Lost was Jack's story. Uh, I think it definitely became Jack's story, and I think yeah. that's really my biggest problem. Yeah. Is that yeah. Jack? While like I'm one of the few people that actually likes Jack, Jack catches a lot of flack. <laughs> um, but I, rhymes. Ugh. Flack Jack. Weren't they gonna? Weren't they gonna kill Jack in the pilot originally? Yeah, they were. Like, like by Michael Keaton. Michael oh, Keaton. that would have been so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem if you kill Michael Keaton is there's like nine other Michael Keaton. <laughs> 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 Who's trying to crap? But you always end up with the one that just shaves his tongue all day. <laughs> uh, Where's Andy McDowell's pilot? Uh, Andy McDowell, Michael Keaton, and Lost in a very different. Andy McDowell, true story, was the smoke monster <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> was is <laughs> um, but uh, Jack Jack is like a, I like I like him. He's he's uh, if if Age of X Henry was here, you would call Jack a total Cyclops. He's like you know. But I, I like so him. Cyclops like the character, not like somebody who has one eye. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that is not a reasonable reference. <laughs> um, but I, I think that like it's pretty clear that over the over the years, like the emotional core of the show was with with uh, different characters, um, and I think those characters were Locke and uh, Desmond and Penny. Um, oh, God, I love Desmond, that. yeah, Desmond and Penny. Their story is by far my favorite part. Yeah, every episode. yeah, like every every season, it's like what was the best episode? It's like oh, the Desmond episode, Desmond or, or a Locke episode. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and I felt like in the end I was really dissatisfied with the ending those characters got. Yes. And that was sort of my big problem with it. I agree with you there. I mean, like, Locke had his ending, like, a season and a half ago. Yeah. yeah. We just didn't know it, though. But, I mean, that... Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that was, that was the hard thing, is that, like, we didn't... I, for me, that was the hard thing, was, like, I didn't have this emotional closure with that character because of the, um, of the misdirection of the Sideways universe. Right. I was like, oh, okay, this is Locke, and, like, eventually... Eventually, like, this this will become, like, Locke's fate is this other universe. And in a way it was, but really, like, his story ended his story ended in that, like, dingy motel room when, like, yeah. Ben strangled him. And that's it's sort of a bummer. Yeah. yeah, it's a total bummer for a character that was, like, yeah. so dynamic and, like, really a lot of, for a lot of the 
episodes sort of a driving force yeah. in, in the way that like we wanted to see. I mean, I can understand the convention of wrapping everything up really neatly with with Jack's story because it's 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 easy to do and it's nice, neat, and but it also gives this weird thing of there's been so many allusions to philosophy. Cite some examples for the well, for the audience. Okay, so like. <laughs> Like David Hume or Jeremy Bentham or, or John Locke, obviously. But then, like you said, we kind of discard their fates and, and we leave Desmond wherever he is and then move over to following up Jack's story. And, and Jack more, I feel like, Jack and Christian Shepherd represent religion. And it's like this whole weird flip-flop of this has been a show sparking philosophical discussion and very heavily weigh, weighing in on logical arguments and illusions and that all of a sudden then rolls over to this weird well, religious I think spiritual it's always been thing. about That's how faith. It, since the beginning, yeah, that's I mean, like the dynamic between Locke and Jack. Yeah, yeah. If, if there were really two two themes I would pull from this show, um, one of them would be like faith versus science or reason, and the mm-hmm. other would be like parents. There's a problem in drama in drama in general where you almost always want to side with like the guy who believes. Yeah, but I, and I think that that part of that also drives the point that we want Lost to be an optimistic story. And I don't think I think in the end, the last fifteen minutes sort of make it happy because these people who are drawn together have some sort of like united post-existence existence where clearly things are better and they've found some sort of reconciliation with whatever their struggles were but like the entirety of the story itself like what we think of as the real world in the context of loss so like the island things that happened before the island flashbacks and flash present are like pretty depressing like mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah things do not work out well things do not work out well for people who are villains who are i mean like you what's know with villains all the children, or what's with all the children being left without parents <laughs> yeah. right i mean like there's a ton of open-ended, open-ended things most of which are like sort of horrible going back to the theme of like parents jacob is this parent figure and everyone's yeah. like oh jacob will know what to do but he's never around and when he is around he's just like because i said so that's why right. and um and I mean, that's a theme that resonates with like Locke's dad and Jack's dad. And, and when we, we go through is we find out like over the course of this season that like Jacob's, Jacob's just a guy, um, you know, well, he's, he's a magical guy. But yeah, but still. there's this horrible thing like with, with Jacob in control that everything is in some way still predetermined. Like there are only these set paths and either way it still goes to a, a predetermined outcome. And then there's this kind of like, you were saying, John, like hopefulness. Like once, once Jacob's actually gone where, you know, Jack kind of says like, that's how Jacob ran it. Now it's like anything can happen and we can all have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. But it's nice in the end that like Jack is both wrong and right. He's like, it's going to work out if we just use Desmond and it sort of like goes horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but then, he, then it does play out sort of the way he wanted it to because Locke well, gets a nosebleed and like all of a sudden. I love this hilarious. Basically, yeah. He caps his ass. In the, Richard, in the Richard episode when Jacob's like, imagine that this wine cork is the island. Yeah. I did not expect there to be an actual cork <laughs> in the island. <laughs> yeah, totally yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of that. That was, yeah. that was one of those like... All right, you know they got a magic pool of like goodness and electromagnetism that like if they t- open it up will unleash like the bad red energy. Let's just make it a cork. Let's go all the way. I like that's what I I kind of like about yeah. this show. Yeah, well, that, that room also... that room was a little overdeveloped for me in terms of like yeah. that cave area where it seemed like no one could go down there and like when. The man in black went down there the first time he became a smoke monster because he looked so important and terrifying and powerful. And it's like, okay, if it's that bad that only Desmond and the man in black have been down there before, and now we go down there, there's like carvings and like skeletons. Skeletons. Yeah, skeletons. skeletons. And I'm like, all right, well, I thought this was, I mean, it wasn't, not, again, it's not a plot hole. There's a lot of stuff going on in this universe. So, like, to tell the story, there are things you have to sort of just like roll with and accept. And I'm not a nitpicker. 
But it was one I kind of wish like, we never weird. saw down there. I kind of wish they yeah. left it a mystery. Uh, I was okay with it. Do you know what it did confirm for us, though? Uh, magnets work because of miracles. <laughs> <laughs> ICP was right. Fair enough. ICP yeah. actually wrote the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> Carlton Q, more importantly, Carlton Q's and... <laughs> Ghostwriting uh, ICP songs. No, they are just ICPs. <laughs> <laughs> Damon Lindelof and Carlton Juggalos. Are in fact juggalos in disguise. I think I thought was interesting was um, the whole vending machine thing with, um, with Sawyer and Juliet. How uh, you know the candy bar gets stuck, mm-hmm. and then Juliet, you know, he's sorry, he's trying to get it out. Juliet tells him to unplug it, Plug and then, then plug it back in, and then the candy bar will drop. Oh. So I thought, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was. Kind I of spent cool. most of that scene wondering if that would actually work. So I just before we started recording, I went and invited Regopolis to join us because I figured Ooh. he'd have Alex Regopolis. <laughs> <laughs> figured he had funny uh, opinions. Uh, and he has never watched Lost. What? And his argument was he got burned by Twin Peaks because Twin Peaks. Oh, that's totally different, though. Well, yeah, but I understand because he was like saying the Twin Peaks asks, you know, there's so many questions in that first season. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of how Lost is. And, uh, and they never got paid off, so he never wanted to invest into Lost. But my question is. What's more interesting, the payoff or actually just the part where all these crazy things are happening and all these questions are coming up? Because I—that's always my favorite part. Yeah. So like, you know, what the show wouldn't have been wouldn't have been nearly as interesting or nearly as like singular a television experience as it's been without all the like, right. If it was just a show about castaways on an island, to be like, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I used to I used to be of the mind that they better explain all of these things, but. You know, this past season especially, I kind of just came to terms with the fact that they're not going to. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of interesting at the end. Like, I wonder if the whole, um, you know, let go, move on was kind of a, a message <laughs> from the writers being, to all the fans being like... That's what David Lindelof tweeted the next day. He oh, was really? like, let go, move on, like, I'm happy with how it is. But, yeah. You know. Yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, a nudge that like... Find the DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe it doesn't matter exactly how some of those things happen. Maybe some of the fun is coming up with your own theories and, you know, whatever. And and that's why I liked the ending, because it's like, it ends, it's final, there's no, like, oh, it's going to go be a miniseries or a movie now. Yep. But you can still go discuss it with your friends and rewatch old episodes and uncover things and hash out theories. I I mean, I, I'm with you, Pope. I I only got interested in, in, in it again for all the for all the ins and outs and twists and turns. And, and it's people who I think digested this like a... 70 hour movie that are like well I, when I watched two weeks ago in season one yeah. I wanted that question to be answered it's like well yeah but that was in 2004 like, yeah they always they always took college. care yeah they always took care of the big mysteries yes. like yes. they were like it, cause like season one what's in the hatch Desmond and then like yeah. that opened up what's the Dharma initiative and when we found that out it's like who's Jacob and they were really good about that stuff um, big and, beats yeah, but it was definitely like I'm, my roommate's been rewatching it, and it's definitely like the smaller stuff that, as I'm seeing, that's a like, little like annoying. It's like, well, why did you throw in the Hurley bird, the bird, <laughs> the bird that screams Hurley's name? <laughs> if you were like never gonna come back to that, like that doesn't add anything. That doesn't like the, all that does is make people go, "What's with the Hurley bird?" Yeah, they basically said like, stop, stop asking questions. Like, well, and like Miriam from uh, from Disney Studios from the game studio who's a PR person who does uh, game stuff she posted a list of questions that they took a photograph of that they wrote before the final episode and one of them was like the sixth one was like 
what is wrong with my life? And it's like, <laughs> basic was like, dude, that's not a question. And also, <laughs> I lost responsibility. But like, that's the thing. Lost's overarching question is, you know, why does this stuff matter? And like, the whole thing is like, you know, why was Desmond typing those numbers in over and over again? At the end of it, it seems like it was all just sort of a scam that like Jacob cooked up to keep him there, right? Like, or whatever it is, right? But there's not like necessarily deep philosophical significance. It could just be. A but that's the fun of it is then you can apply deep philosophical crazy significance to it. That's why I'm glad they didn't resolve that stuff. The the stuff that really bothers like bothers me is stuff like um, like time travel. Like, why was time travel a part of this story? Oh, yeah. Like, not how did it work? Because like magic. There, done. That's how time travel worked in Lost. I think we all agree that Lost touches on some like pretty big themes. I just don't understand why time travel. Because it's friggin' cool. I guess. But also, like all, all the episodes involving time travel were some of my favorites. Like, and that's where we got Java Lady from. Yeah. So. Let's <laughs> not look the gift of revenue in the mouth. <laughs> it's also about like, you know, um, learning about like the ramifications of your actions and you know, like they had to start being careful about like what they were doing. You know, they didn't take that approach, you know, like you know, I better not, you know, let this person see me or else, you know, I won't be born or something like that. Well, let's let's address the real problem, though. The reason that there was time travel in the past is because they wanted to tell the, the origin stories of what had happened before the characters were currently on the mm-hmm. island. And without any of the characters going to that yeah. place, it would have been boring for everyone to watch. I, just no, want, I, I understand I why I like a, I want, like, a deeper meaning. I, I'm always saying from, like, a yeah. narrative perspective, like, if they wanted to tell that story, I thought the time travel was a good device to weave that in while keeping our characters in that world. If it's yeah. about the characters, not about the plot, yeah. which everyone is now saying is, like, the defense. That's, that's so Ingenuous though, it's like, like it's interest versus some... storytelling. I think the storytelling has always been about the characters, not the plot. But I think that people's interest in the show has always been the plot. Not yeah, the yeah. And some of those yeah, characters definitely. are awful. Point. Yeah, some of those characters yeah. are. Oh, yeah. Come on, Libby is great. Kate, <laughs> Boone, Kate is the worst. Shannon, oh my god, Kate, Anna Lucia. Kate was such a huge disappointment to me because the show starts and she seems to have so much potential to be this great, strong female character, really? and she seems to have this whole backstory. And you're like, oh great, what is it? And then it's like by the end of the show, it's like all she cares about is other people's children and following dudes around. <laughs> Lost is like many things. It is not a show that is kind to its women characters. I, I could have actually done without all the the love triangles. I'm gesturing. Yeah, yeah we, like, too much I, love I, triangles. I feel yeah, like you are gesturing. Really what the hell is that gesture? She's making triangles. She's making like a triangle pizza. She's DJing the new Jay Z record. The new Jay Z triangle record. This is Casey's form. Yeah, you're talking about like the whole parent theme, and um, two of the parent themes that kind of were important later on was uh, Faraday and yeah. was that Eloise Hawking yeah, and yeah. Miles and, and oh yeah, and then Woodmore and then Miles and um, Doctor Gatto. No, yeah. not Hanson. No, he had like four names. Doctor Chang, I think was his name in the, in the Chang, alternate, yeah. alternate universe. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the alternate universe, that is my biggest problem with time travel in Lost is that I think it was mostly introduced as a way to dupe us into thinking of thinking that like limbo or purgatory is something other than it was for the right. entirety of this season. And I feel like that's that really diminishes the show for me is that they had this huge huge theme that meant nothing more than like it was part of their long con, you know. Well, that was part of what I was saying before about what sort of bums me out. But think about how much we're talking about <laughs> storytelling and how little we do that with modern yes, especially television culture like I am super sad Law & Order is ending. I don't typically think about like the storytelling in a good law, in a Law & Order episode, but like, Lost is about, about yeah. 
heroic narratives and philosophy yeah. and like it's pretty unfathomable what they were able to do with six years of on a major <laughs> network yeah. Yeah. not on like yeah. Fox yeah. not on sci-fi like on ABC right. it's not Battlestar yeah. Galactica with a 12 episode arc can we go back to Ragnarok on Kate I yeah, oh, I hate Kate. <laughs> she's the worst. Okay, but why do you hate Kate? Because she's a one-note character that, like, they there's nothing like she's not fully fleshed out. Um, and other characters that start as one-note characters, like Sawyer, mm-hmm. they take him and they make him something more. Do you and think... other characters that are one-note, like Charlie, when they're done with his story, they kill him off. But Kate is just around all the time. Yeah. And she has all these horrible episodes devoted to yes. her. And her episodes are always the worst yeah. ones. And I, I wonder how much of it was the writers being like, well, we don't have a lot to work with here. She's not a good actress. I think she's fine. She's fine. I don't think she had she's a lot to fine. work she with. She's fine. Well, I mean, go back and watch the first season, because the thing that's impressive about Evangeline Lilly is not like whether she's a good actress. She was like an undiscovered person. She was like brought, I mean, she got... She started with Lost. Like, she's never really Not been... totally. She was a model, right? She was right? a model. Well, but I mean, like, she wasn't an actress. It's... She... I think she said in some interviews, like, like not recently, like, a while back. She's like, it's hard to go back and watch these scenes where I'm trying to be emotional now, because it was, like, the first time I was ever sad on a camera. And not That's, just, like, being pretty. And it's like... To watch her go over six years, I think she got a lot better. I think by the end of it, I believed her as an actress in the scene she was in. I just don't necessarily always buy the choices that she makes. But as a as a performer, I thought she ended up like making it as compelling as she could with the choices she was given. Uh, yeah, I thought she was fine. I mean, like uh, Kate is the Kate, Kate is like only the most annoying character because she persisted through the entire show. Like versus Shannon, who died in like season two, and I was I was furious that she was back in this episode. <laughs> she was, she was like three lines. All right, one, she's awful. Okay, <laughs> she's awful. Two, two, Put it two, she's involved with Saeed, who is like. One of the best characters. Yeah. And already has his own storyline with a different woman. Yes! yes. I know, that's that's totally woman. me. No, but yeah. that, woman's not, that woman's unattainable. It's part it's of his quest. It's the reason he's have. so depressed. But the whole point of the final episode is that he finally works through that stuff in this whole universe. That's why they created I'm it. I'm not arguing that having Saeed get Shane at the end is like a great carrot at the end of the stick that like he was running towards Shane the whole time. I thought it was a little yeah, weird but- and a sharp left turn. I'm just saying it didn't. Yeah. It didn't make me go. I was like happy that he had someone. I wasn't. But it saying, redeemed Shannon a tiny bit. Yeah, she needed redeeming. <laughs> <laughs> my, my issue. I, did you see my? I tweeted. I retweeted okay. what my brother said, which is that it seems to get into heaven. You just you need to be in love with somebody, except for Boone, You're who Boone. I guess had a weird thing for Shannon. So <laughs> 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 Hurley. Hurley crying is still perfect just... Perfect. Oh. Sort of a, not the boom part, but I think Hurley deserved better. Nah, I think, well, here's we the thing. Me, right? Here's the thing. Hurley didn't have any issues to work through, really, because, I mean... Uh, he was psychotic and felt super unlucky and everything was going wrong in his life. I'm saying Hurley just could have worked through his stuff on the island yeah. and yeah. been at peace. But I think the implication is that he does, right? Because, like, I don't think that the, the, the story doesn't seem to end with everybody dying at the same time, right? Like, the idea is, like, this sort of world, like, people are kind of coming into the world whenever their stories naturally end in the actual universe. So, like, Curly could have lived on the island for 40 years with Ben as his number two and, like, redeemed Ben, and that's why Ben gets to be there at all. And, like, you know, there's there's an element there where maybe Curly does have a bunch of other stuff, and I would watch an Aftermash... Mm-hmm. With any of the three characters who got on the plane, or Hurley and Ben just hanging out on the island and talking to each other and being awesome. Don't bring up the aftermath. I, I mean, it's well, not about aftermath. <laughs> I kept just assuming that the plane exploded and Jack hallucinated seeing it no. because that's what he wanted to see. No, yeah, Lapidus is a great pilot, and you know that. Yes. Where was Lapidus in that room, all right? It's <laughs> like, 
Well, he gets screwed. Just he's like, in, is Lapidus a serial killer? Did well, he? Well, none of those guys. He's in, in virtual room. reality. <laughs> oh no, Sawyer and Kate in that were in the room. No, but he was. But Miles was in the room, was he? No, no. but like, no, like who he wasn't got, like who, connected with them from the yeah, very beginning. Yeah. Though. Like, that was like who the core group. Who got screwed out of that room? Lapidus and Miles. Lapidus, Miles. I know that Walt. Oh, so I know someone that wasn't there. Mr. Echo. Yeah. He apparently well, wanted five yes, times five, as much yeah. money as <laughs> oh, And I think he was actually supposed to be like the um, priest. He was supposed to be the <laughs> smoke monster, right? Uh, what was Richard's resolution? Just that he was mortal he just, again? He, he just got off the island. I'm gonna go live now. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm right. willing to accept, like, a life goes on, like, ending for minor characters. Like, don't you call him minor. I'm <laughs> sorry. Uh, he was in the room at the end. No, that's Richard. That's another one, yeah. Like he, Sawyer's he first, Sawyer's like, ending was that he just like finally got off the island. I don't know. Let, let's just say this: there are enough characters that are masterfully written on the show, and I don't entirely accept Allie's premise that the writers can't write women at all. I think that's a I, little. I grant that premise. Uh, I think it's a little limited. I think that there's plenty of shows that are worse examples of that on the air right now that we would mm-hmm. not think of on the top of our heads. That like I think Lost does its best, and I think Lost is dealing with bigger issues than gender politics. Um, I, I would argue that they did so well with so many characters. Like there are so many iconic characters that came out of the show, and like I just wanted one woman character who didn't who was thought Sun so was flat. awesome. Yeah, yeah Sun's yeah. pretty badass. Yeah. I would say that, but I'd say this, like, think about, like, ignoring Jennifer for a second, like, think about the idea that we have Locke, and we have Ben, and we have these, like, and we have Richard, like, these, and Lapidus even, like, these characters that are, like, crazy iconic, and that, like, people can reference from now on from the show, like, short of, I mean, every show has those characters, but, like, these characters are pretty deep and weird and, and like, broken in a way that, like, the kids on Friends aren't, like, oh, Monica's fat, like, oh, like, that's, like, her big backstory. You know, I just think that all their, like, everyone, like, the male characters were all allowed to have problems that didn't, like... What about, uh, what's her name? Bernard and Rose. Rose. Yeah. I guess Rose. Rose, all right. I'll give Rose, Rose. Rose. is also pretty, but Rose is, uh, well, I, um, Rose is pretty awesome, actually. I love I will, Rose. I will, yeah. I will grant you Rose. I don't know. It felt like such a, like, it felt like they were doing so much and trying to close so many loops, and I got such emotional closure out of watching it that, like, there are lingering questions, and if I, re- like I said, if I rewatched it, I'd probably be really frustrated by some of the stuff I didn't get resolved. Vaccine. But, like, I've loved this show for six years, and I don't think that I have, like, blinders on to some of the faults that could have come from writing a show this complicated but also like how many people write a show this complicated yeah like well, this is not again they had, they had like writers come and go like jj abrams wasn't involved past the first season right and like brian k vaughn did like three seasons yeah. maybe they had plans that didn't come to fruition well, I, but i think that i think that at the end like carlton Hughes and damon Lindelof, like, really? like they told a really good story and like they told a story that we're sitting here fighting about right so yeah. like they clearly did something right in terms of being like a piece of culture and a piece of art that lives on, whether you think it's a perfect piece of culture or art, like there's no such thing. Well, and you can view it in different ways. You can view it as the like, oh my God, what a cop out, it sucks, they didn't answer my questions. Or you could view it as this ended in such a way that the writers gave the viewers enough credit to not spoon feed them answers. Well, there's like, there's stuff that's open to interpretation and then there's stuff that like was like, that I think were blind alleys. And those those are just frustrating and like, it's not as easy to write off like the uh, Hurley Bird. They should have just been like a little more vigilant about like what stuff they were gonna leave up to interpretation versus what they were planning to answer. Like I felt like the audience was cared for and I felt like like they did their best to really cater to the audience that developed, which is I think not what the audience they expect. Like in terms of best season finales ever, did it rank up there for anybody? It didn't season or series. Series, sorry, thank you. Like it didn't it didn't hit the like the high water mark for me, which is like 
The Wire and MASH, which are like the two best series finales yeah. I've ever seen. But it was still it was still pretty good. Better than better than Battlestar Galactica, as I'm sure Dan Teasdale will throttle me for saying. Similar, <laughs> similar though, and similar. in the last 15 minutes, repositioned everything in a way where you're like, oh, I don't know how I feel yeah. about that post-world. And they both very, heaven. like, very shifted, shifted very drastically in the last 10 minutes from um, sort of an ambiguous philosophy to, like, very Christian philosophy. Yeah. Like, even Lost, like, or tried to... Christian. Well, yeah. Like, even Lost, which tried to, like, put them in that weird universe, like, Unitarian church, even that, like, ends with a character, like, whose last name is Shepard, with a stab wound in his side, <laughs> like, laying, like, the, like, I'm miming, like, a crucifixion. Dying like, to save his people. Yeah, dying to save yeah. his people. Um, it was really Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, it, which was great. I, like I defy, like I haven't been that worked up about uh, anything in, on, in media since probably the end of Mash is when like Jack was lying in that clear, which you weren't alive for, <laughs> but I still watched it oh, several sure. times. Yeah, um, like Jack lying in that clearing and like his eye closing was just like the perfect way to end that show. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Let's just yeah. say that, like, Hurley crying at any point oh. being sad oh. is the most heartbreaking thing you could ever do. Oh. Hurley crying and Purple Rain are the two things that make me tear up. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think we should end it. Hey everybody, uh, fun stuff today. Uh, we are joined by Christopher Foster, the project director of Green Day Rock Band. Hello. Hi. Um, so this is a treat. Uh, Green Day Rock Band, at the time of the release of this podcast, will be coming out in four days, three days. Cool. Um, so your cycle is almost complete. Um, what was it like working on this project? Uh, it was cool. It was my first time being a project lead, actually. I was lead designer on Beatles. And so to kind of oversee the creative parts of all of it was uh, it was a big challenge, but it was fun. It was with a, a good team of people and with a cool band, so it was good. Yeah, and I bet it must... I mean, it made, it made sense that you did it coming off of Beatles because it's another artist-specific game. Um, what What sort of lessons did you learn from Beatles that you brought over to Green Day? It's a good question. Probably uh, just like streamline the processes and you, is sort of old hat to you by this point. Well, I think I think one of the things um, we learned it was really hard in Beatles to get artists um, to move properly. Like building a model that looks like an artist is one thing. Getting them to move properly is another, and feel like them. And 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 we worked really hard in Beatles, and we got there, but it was painful. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we changed the way we did animations in this game. So we realized up front that if we wanted to make a Green Day concert feel like a Green Day concert, uh, we shouldn't try to slice up the animation into little loops and pull them together, that we should uh, motion capture an entire performance for every song. Yeah, and actually that, um, so we, we pulled our forums for a bunch of questions and they actually gave us really good ones. And one guy in particular- Actually, you sound so surprised. <laughs> no, I'm not surprised, they're great. Um, one guy in particular asked about that and he said, Tuba Lord. As in Lord of the Tuba from our forums wants to know, related to this, um, why and when in the process was a decision made to do full linear motion capturing and what does that actually mean? <laughs> <laughs> what is full linear motion capturing? 
So we use motion capture for almost all the animation in our songs, um, in our games. So, but in something like Rock Band, you've got uh, the same animations have to support tons and tons of songs. So what makes the most sense is animate little loops, like playing like a four bar figure or playing in a certain attitude for a period of time and design those so that they can play indefinitely in a loop and then you, or play long enough that they can last as long as a single camera shot. Then you have those be queued up as a song progresses to sort of capture the different moods of a song. And then you can have a certain amount of drama over the course of a song. But in a, in, And that works well if you have thousands of songs, but one of the drawbacks is that you don't have the ability for characters to have any lengthy interaction with each other or with the world because at any point, any one character is going to switch to another animation loop. So they all tend to be fairly isolated. Uh, even in Beatles, where we had you know only hundreds of songs to potentially support, uh, mainly the, the, the 45 on disc, um, we still use the loops for most things. But then we would, for key moments, some of which in the dreamscapes where everyone's walking through a field, and even just certain musical moments, we would actually have the entire band uh, animated for longer sequences. But even then, that was still sliced up. Right. And like I was saying, uh, it's really hard in those in those moments to capture uh, the band, largely because there's a lot of procedural stuff laid on top. This is getting really nerdy. Um, but like, you know, the all of the fretting and all of the strumming and all of what people are singing and whether they're in the, at the microphone or stepped away, which is a, something that we had in Beatles, that's all mechanical. That's all like multiple puppeteers pulling on a character. Uh, and it's really hard to make those all be seamless uh, where the character looks is now being driven separately from what they're playing, which is different from whether they're at the mic, which is different than their overall body motion. So edit this down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think people are actually going to find uh, this really interesting. So uh, with this, we're like, well, that's for something like Green Day, particularly Green Day, where everyone's they're running all the hell over the stage all the time. Uh, that set of behaviors wasn't really going to work, even in the, like the best case. So we decided, well, what the hell, let's try something we hadn't done before, which is we basically set up an entire stage uh, and motion captured uh, three performers and three cameramen, all uh, performing complete runs of songs. Um, so that's what we, when we say full linear motion capture, we mean start a song, play a full performance and stop and use that largely unedited for every song. And it looks, it looks really cool. I remember like the first time I saw just, just like them running around, I was like, oh, wow. This looks so cool, and it, it is something we haven't really seen before in our games. We have done the snippets, but it, it, I think it serves the songs really well. It also, I mean, we're trying to create this concert experience, and it lets each song in the concert feel like its own thing. Uh, and that's a big win for us. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then we actually splice in other stuff, like uh, in, in Milton Keynes. Uh, it's a much bigger stage, bigger than where we could mocap. So there is this catwalk out in front and big r ramps and walkways to either side. And those were captured with separate bits of mocap for certain songs so that, you know, Billy Joe and, and Mike to different degrees can run past the environment that we actually motion captured in and play key moments out there. And that stuff comes in in a few songs and it, and it definitely adds to the experience. Um, Mayhem117 wanted to know how you felt about following Beatles up with Green Day. Was there any trepidation of, okay, we just did the biggest band ever in the world. Now what do we do? Uh, did you have any trepidation? or um, No, because I think I really didn't think of it as following up the Beatles. Like you just, you don't follow up the Beatles. That's kind of like the exclamation point. Yeah. But I think that for us, I mean, I mean like Rock Band is DLC, gets different songs every week. And sometimes you get something really amazing and like, a, you know, something that you just like, oh, I can't believe that that got in the game. 
uh, you know, like Eric Cartman. And then like, you know, the week after that, it's like, you know, you're still, there's still great music out there of all different types and all different fields. And when you have an opportunity to get it into DLC, you do. And with these games, it really was just, there was an opportunity. The next opportunity up was to work with Green Day. And, and so it's just kind of its own thing. Going into this project, were you a big Green Day fan or did it change over the course of the project, your knowledge and appreciation of the band? It definitely changed my knowledge. Uh, and I think it deepened my appreciation. I was, a, I was like, I guess, a casual fan. I mean, honestly, I was a casual fan of the Beatles when I started up and I learned a lot more. Um, got more into um, both bands' catalogs as I went over on, 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 the, ti- on the title. Uh, I think, I think I definitely learned more about them as a live act, and I'm really glad we focused on that. I mean, we a bunch of us got to see them when they came to Boston, uh, and just see what they do, and, and watching, you know, Bullet in a Bible and some of the other concert videos. Particularly when we were gra- gathering the prizes, we saw a bunch of concerts. Uh, that's just it's a huge part of who they are, and it's something I definitely didn't, I wasn't nearly as aware of. Um, too much of an introvert to go out to too many shows growing <laughs> up, uh, and so uh, yeah, that that changed and that really grew. Uh, just to give credit, that question came from Fuley79. Hello, Fuley79. I want to make sure everybody gets credit from these questions, and I'm not stealing. Uh, <laughs> um, so they're actually, while we were on the subject, um, um, people, a lot of people asked about the song selection, specifically um, why no really why none of the earlier stuff and i think that's been answered in interviews but you might as well answer it in this one as well no sure um yeah we had a couple of songs that we were going after uh, i think one from kerplunk and one from 1039 smooth dot slappy hours i can't believe i, I can actually say <laughs> that i've done enough press i can say that in one <laughs> breath um and we just we couldn't get the multi-tracks like that was the long and the short of it um but they would have been a great addition to the game um, I think similarly with All By Myself, which is the hidden track on Dookie, we just couldn't get it, the, the material to, to play it. And we decided we didn't want to actually have live material in there because it's just like it's a different... People like the studio stuff more, and um, I think particularly in punk, some of that live stuff can be really ragged, and, and it doesn't translate as well into rock band, Yeah, uh, in my opinion. So uh, sticking with studio stuff seemed to work pretty well. Especially in the sound recordings, too. If, if, if it was the earlier stuff recorded live, it probably would have been really rough. Yeah. Big MF wants to know, how much Green Day content did you have access to, like the, the, the extras, and how did you make the decisions on what to include on the disc? So those were, those were actually the sort of two separate processes, the, the pictures and the, and the videos. And uh, it was really fun. It was actually, I got to do the same thing on Beatles, which was probably is one of the two most ridiculous parts of that process. Um, in both cases, I guess really with Green Day, um, to answer the question that's been asked. Um, <laughs> I think, I think the Beatles, uh, question is, it's also pretty rel- like, that's a good story. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a good, it was a good, it was a good start where we were, um, trying to get the sort of set the template for this. And so it took a while to be able to demonstrate what we wanted to do, uh, with photos and collecting them. Uh, and the rules are a little different, in, uh, particularly for videos in Green Day. We, we learned some stuff, but the photos are very similar. And um, once we demonstrated enough of the material of what we wanted, uh, we were a couple of us were out uh, in London for a meeting at Apple Corps. And they said, okay. Um, this was like in the morning, at like 11 in the morning. They're like, okay. So, uh, yeah, why don't you start picking photos? And, you know, you're here tomorrow, so we can, you know, just you pick them and then we'll you know, start use that as the basis. And we're like picking po- photos and it ended up there like they had them all. 
like they had like 25,000 pictures and they're like in these binders and they just started bringing them up and it was like flipping through and just rapidly trying to pick as many pictures as possible. Like the, the I think we chose 300, which then get whittled down to like 120 or so in the game. Uh, so that was crazy to do that in like the, the Beatles office, looking at the Beatles pictures and just weird. Uh, but so similarly, it came to the point of uh, with Green Day, we wanted pictures and we talked to different people and with Green Day and we talked with Warner Brothers records and, and uh, it turned out Warner Brothers had the biggest sort of supply of material. Uh, and suddenly I had experience in dealing with this. So I ended up uh, flying out there for a couple of days and it was literally like they had the boxes of all of the, you know, the transparencies and contact sheets and some of the negatives and prints, you know, and it was just pick through them and find material. So it was just the same thing of like, what are the hundred or so coolest pictures of the band from each of these things? But like having like, Hey, here's the entire photo shoot from Dookie uh liner notes and you can actually see sort of the ones that were used and like we can pick around those uh or like uh bullet in the bible there are uh, wade brands was a photographer who apparently photographed the entire show and i think like 12 of those pictures showed up on the dvd one of them was used for the cover others have probably been used in publicity material but there were like rolls and rolls and rolls of footage so we just flipped through those and found the, the ones that looked pretty cool and unique you try to pick the stuff that you think hasn't been seen or at least hasn't been seen as off often uh, I tended to lean towards stuff that had the band with their guard down a little bit, uh, a little more humor, a little less of like, oh, this is the thing you'd put in the magazine or on the CD, right. but this is a moment almost between the normal talk less, takes that less still of them fun. posing, more yeah. natural. Yeah, and that was that was the follow up question that this guy asked was, um, if if you did find anything like that that the band wasn't comfortable with you using, um, we actually I think with. With Beatles, there were a few that we, you know, we, we ran them all by them and a couple that were rejected for different reasons and we moved to different ones. Uh, with Green Day, I think everything was accepted. Um, I remember that I, I'm pretty good at self-censoring in that, like ones that are, you know, basically flattering pictures of what you want. Uh, I think there was one series of pictures where Billy Joe's mooning the crowd at Milton <laughs> Keynes and it was like literally a series and you just see like the pants drop, drop, drop. It's like lower, lower, lower. Oh, too low. Back up one. That's the print that we want. Uh, and, then, it. and then the uh, the videos, we had like uh, MTV um, being uh, obviously around when Green Day was around, had 20 hours of material like available in their vaults and like in videotapes and, and they dumped them on the to DVDs. Originally they put out an hour of like material. I think that they sent to the band as like, we could use this stuff. And at a certain point I like, I remembered there were a couple of things that I'd seen on MTV that weren't in the reel. So I was like, could we see maybe more of the material? And they were like, are you, are you sure? And they sent us all of it. Uh, so I think there was a weekend, a week in December where I took a good chunk of it off and just sat at home and just like ran through the material like a double speed to find cool musical performances or interviews or outtakes stuff that again looked like hadn't been, when I could find it stuff that looked like it hadn't been seen, but was still relevant to what was in the game. So there are a bunch of uh, songs that hadn't been broadcast. Uh, and then we found a couple of them that were, or I think one of them, which was on the track list. So we wanted to include it. And that was a sound check performance of uh, geek stink breath, cool. uh, which is cool. Cause it's, it's from, um, it's from the same uh, concert, the Jaded in Chicago concert, uh, where they just do this really high energy uh, performance of like songs from Dookie and earlier albums. Uh, it was on MTV in 94. It hasn't really been rebroadcast much, and we got a nice copy of it that we pulled some songs from. But then you see this sound check, and it's the same guys, but they're just kind of having fun. Like It's much a very different vibe than basically practicing a song that they're going to record in a few months. Um, 
so just finding moments like that and, and outtakes and, and extended interviews was a, it was, it was a really fun. Um, and also as a, as a, as someone who studied film, just like seeing them slating and, you know, setting mics and all that crazy stuff was just uh, neat to get into the guts of it like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Aerith loves Tifa would like to know. I get it. <laughs> I, I don't. What is that a reference to? Some sort of final fantasy thing. <laughs> All right. I thought it was a guy and his girlfriend. There's a message to his girlfriend. I guess not. He wants to know, was there any consideration for dreamscapes to be used in this game in Green Day Rock Band? Not really. Um, I think pretty early on, and this is actually talking with the band, um, we asked them what they thought was important and, and they wanted to show moments from their history. I think, and they wanted to show um, the crowd, the audience. They consider it an important part of, of, you know, a Green Day show is the the interaction with the crowd uh, and the band. Um, so uh, there's things we couldn't do, like we couldn't um, because we're just using music and studio tracks specifically. We couldn't have the band come up, uh, the audience members come up and sing because they would sound like Billy Joe. And we couldn't come up, have them come up and play songs because they would sound like Green Day, and it would just wouldn't work. It wouldn't make sense. Um, but we were were able to do a bunch of stuff where they were like fist pumping and pogoing and waving along with Billy Joe, um, and then we had a stage diving and crowd surfing, which was a layer of stuff we hadn't done before. Yeah. Uh, so like once you know when that was the priority, any ideas of going into like trippy music video land kind of went away. And honestly, in any in any project, you just you pick your fights. And in this one, our our first priority was to make these three sort of stages, the, these live shows, really do things we haven't done before. Um, you know, get, you know, like a sort of a additional level of grit and detail like we did, I think, in the warehouse to get things like the Jumbotrons going uh, in Milton Keynes, uh, the video wall, stage divers, all this stuff. Uh, just like you, you put your resources where you think they're going to do the most good. And in this case, doing a live show was like our priority. And on that topic, Skoda asks... Why did you decide to only feature three stages for the game when you could have added more, even if purely fictional, for the purposes of the game? Um, I think for two reasons. One is, you know, you can you can put more effort into fewer things, honestly. Uh, and we wanted to like get these. We wanted to reflect these the two real places and the one imagined place with like a real level of detail. Uh, we also were learning how to do uh, this, all of this in the cameras and the lighting, particularly the cameras uh, dealing with linear motion capture, which was new for us. So we wanted to focus like that. But I think that the reason we chose three in the end was ultimately that the set list, going back to that, is focused on three albums, um, that uh, Dookie, American Idiot, and 21st Century Breakdown uh, are like the cornerstones of the game. And... If that's what we were going to do, then trying to come up with eight venues from across the band's career along the way wasn't really going to fit. So we ended up being able to make our venues better because we could spend more time on them and really adapt the concept of what one of these games could be to the set list we thought was really powerful. Um, it's not a cookie cutter thing. And it's just we went, you know, we went where the, I guess the band, the band's music and career took us. Um, and similarly, not really similarly, but totally um, differently. General Line 979, which rhymes, <laughs> <clears throat> wants to know why there was no Jason White character for the latter two gigs in which he played rhythm guitar. Uh, we debated it, honestly. Uh, and we, we definitely made sure that he was well represented in photos and, and, and many of the archival movies. Uh, the 
answer is really that four people are harder to draw than three. Um, And because Green Day is a three-person band primarily, we were able to add more detail in terms of how we drew them and more detail into the stage as well. Um, In some ways, the fourth band member that we show is one of the three band members, particularly, well, specifically in Milton Keynes, we were able to use the space that a fourth musician would do to have a fourth character that's drawn a second time in those back spaces in really high detail. Um, but it was a trade-off and it was something that we, you know, we discussed with the band uh, at length um, because it just would have meant if we put that person on there, there'd be other things we wouldn't be able to do. Right. Um, sort of similar in Beatles, I assume, to who, multiple people who are at, you know, whichever person fits the fifth Beatle bill, why yeah. wasn't that person in the game? whether it's Billy Preston or whatever. Well, yeah, and I think, I think I mean, <clears throat> the band, you know, has featured Jason White in their videos sometimes, not in other times. Like, he's definitely a part of the band. He's an important part. Um, but we had a decision to make in terms of how to, like, how to, like, really present the band, like, the core of the band, and that ended up going to those three guys. Cool. Um, so Sabre has some good questions here. Um, this one... Good job, Sabre. <laughs> He's always one of the best. Uh, I'm sure during brainstorming for the game, a lot of ideas are presented. What is, if there is one, one thing you wanted to do with Green Day Rock Band, but you were not able to accomplish? Hmm. I've got to think about that a bit. I think, I feel like with the live material, I think we did a good job. I think since it was our first time not so much something we didn't get to do, but something I would do differently. Um, the getting the getting the linear motion capture was a challenge that I think I wish we'd had a little more time to prepare, like sort of rehearse the performances specifically, because um, we had three guys going up there with three uh, cameramen, and we we got performances we're really psyched by and, and particularly with camera work and focusing on the pieces that were really awesome we got something really strong but i think going into it again i would have just done a little more up front so like it would have been a little less you know like skin of our pants teeth seat of our skin i like skin of our pants seat of our pants skin <laughs> uh seat of our dance skins to get uh the you know get the performances strong um, I think that was probably the main thing in terms of things we didn't do. I'm trying to feature. Oh, actually, one of the things we talked about was letting you play songs in multiple venues. It's actually the same thing we talked about in Beatles. Um, and in Beatles, it was going to be more of a fun thing. Like, wouldn't it be great to see the Sergeant Pepper outfits in the Cavern Club playing songs from Let It Be? <laughs> uh, and the idea is, yes, it'd be fun, but it'd be really expensive and crazy and and complicated to do so let's do other things instead Um, and with this we had a similar thing but we were going to make it that you know basically at a given point in time if you're in a venue they could play songs from anything before that so they could play dookie songs in the fox theater or milton Keynes. Uh, and we were psyched by the idea, but um, when we came to do the, the motion capture, we realized that every stage had a different plot uh, yeah. um, with different behaviors. Uh, specifically, uh, well, Milton Keynes is a bigger stage, although the main, the core of it is very similar. And Dookie had a, a different flat riser. And for a while, we were debating, like, well, maybe we'll make them all like the same. We'll have in the warehouse, there'll be a really tall drum riser, and there'll be one of the monitors, but it'll be the one they use. And so we can map that data to multiple venues. Um, but 
you don't want to triple, you don't want to do three recordings of every song just for this feature that only some people are going to use. And we realized we can make a bigger impact by actually recording them custom built for every song. Uh, and once we decided on that, then that feature kind of went by the wayside. Cool. Um, he also asks, and this is sort of, I think of interest to certain people and just in terms of how we work. Um, he wanted to know what games or how many things were in development when Green Day was first being developed and how hard was it for harmonics, the harmonics team to juggle multiple projects? Did the team you lead work exclusively on Green Day or are they working on multiple projects at the same time? Oh, it was definitely a challenge to do multiple projects and, and harmonics was, I mean, this game was worked on it was started, it wasn't really in parallel with Beatles. I think Beatles had gone to manufacturing when we started up, but it was immediate hop over, get this started. Um, and, and Rock Band 3 was definitely in development. And, and we, we have our other, we have our other fun, you know, ways to buy the time in the company. So, you know, there, it was a challenge. And I think it was a challenge where this game was very much slotted between Beatles and Rock Band 3 uh, to find uh, focus uh, on it. The, the guys at Harmonics who worked on it worked pri pretty much entirely on it uh, towards the end, and then we started doing a little bit of, uh, of multitasking on other projects starting up, which is kind of normal. You kind of like start to spin up something as something spinning down. Um, but we also developed this with uh, Demiurge uh, up the street, uh, who did a, uh, you know significant bits of the game as well as uh, while we were sort of guiding the overall vision and doing significant parts ourselves. And, and that... Um, that partnership was really key to the game. Most Spartan 14 wants to know, did you ever consider having standalone Green Day related instruments for this game like you did for Beatles? Uh, short answer is no. Um, just I think that there's a lot of plastic out there. Um, I think, and, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I just it made sense to to make this one that you can use with your rock band gear or any other gear that's out there. I, I but to be totally honest, I'm really hoping that uh, people are gonna customize some of their strats and turn them into a blue because uh, it's a it's a fun project involves some blue spray paint and some stickers. So get your arts and crafts photos <laughs> on the forums. Soon, and there's guys. people on the forums who have done stuff like that, so I'm sure you can find those threads and get get uh, details on how to yeah. do it and actually and we have a, a white p bass already out through mad cats which is one of um mike's signature instruments yeah that's true okay uh system sc snake actually has a good question uh he wants to know what was the idea or reason behind creating a demo for green day rock band which is something we haven't really done before yeah this is our first demo of any of like i guess the the, the console rock band games and we did a I think I think Rockman iPhone has a has a free play option to try it out, um, which is very much an iPhone thing. I, I think it was just it, something that we were lucky enough to be the first out of the shoot doing this, and I think it's something that's always been intriguing to us. It's you know it's a different sort of licensing concern. I think with and with music games, it's kind of something you deal with. I think um, we just wanted more people, uh, particularly like artist specific games. Um, you know, with, with Rock Band 3 around the corner, I think there might be more of a tendency to people to be like, so what is this Green Day thing? Um, and this is a great opportunity for people to try it out. And yeah, we, and I, I definitely know people that don't buy games unless they've gotten a chance to either play it at a friend's house or demo it themselves. So yeah. I think it's a really cool thing that we're doing. Yeah, I'm psyched, I'm psyched we're going there. I hope we'll do more of them. Yeah, totally. I like the little tease that we got in there for uh, 
That's true. If you haven't checked out the Green Day demo yet, you should because it has a fun special teaser that we will say no more about, despite your questions on the forums for Chris, who has nothing to do with that project. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. So we will start wrapping it up. But Hey Riles has the most obvious question. He says, most obviously, what is your favorite Green Day song and why? Huh. Well, it varies a bunch. And uh, I think... I have a weird one. I've actually... I think this is the same answer I gave the last time I was asked this. It's uh, What's Her Name. It's not the most, you know, balls-to-the-wall song they have. It's not the most aggressive punk thing, but I think I was really taken with American Idiot as a story, as, like, you know, the the, the story that it tells that now is the, the Broadway musical, which was actually really good, by the way. I checked it out. Enjoyed it. Uh, the soundtrack's good, all the better if you've actually seen the show so you know why different people are singing different things. Do you know where that's playing? It's playing at the St. James Theater in uh, Broadway. Nowhere else right now? Uh, no, it was at uh, Berkeley Rep where they workshopped it in uh, in, in Berkeley, of all places. <laughs> uh, and now it's now it's on the Broadway stage. It's up cool. for three Tonys, I think. Wow. Yeah. Great. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's well done. Uh, but... Uh, what's her name is kind of the coda to the entire piece it comes after homecoming which is this big nine minute epic and it's the song itself is about kind of you know just like looking back over what this guy's kind of lost along the way and and the person that he he once loved that left him and then he's kind of you know that he screwed up uh and so it's got this emotional heft and the music is you know kind of kind of punches in in time with the with the lyrics and the themes of everything in a way that i just found compelling and then actually the broadway version is even better um, so it's kind of, I guess, more of a, a sentimental choice based on that album, but it's one that just kind of hits me a lot. And it also, I think, speaks to the, to the range of what Green Day does. Like they, you know, they're sort of known as pop punk, but they actually create, they craft these really kind of strong songs and, and, um, kind of musical hooks and emotional hooks. Uh, and so that's just, it's kind of powerful one for me. Cool. Here's a very specific question. Uh, this is another one from Aerith Loves Tifa. <clears throat> will Song of the Century slash 21st Century Breakdown be together in-game or when it exports to the main platform? So, it's an interesting question. Aerith loves Tifa. Tifa? <laughs> Aerith loves t-shirts? No, that's not it. I love t-shirts. I lo- who doesn't love a good t-shirt? <laughs> I love FIFA. FIFA? FIFA's good. FIFA's They're good soccer. if you're going to... Yeah, if you like a good fo- footy. FIFA's your, your bag. Um... So when we were talking about those songs, I'd originally been pitching to put them together um, because it's a singer-only song. Uh, it's about a minute-long song of the century, and then it goes into 21st century breakdown. Uh, so the idea is, well, then it wouldn't be a singer-only song because it'd be connected to that. And then kind of two things happened. One is that we got the uh, stems uh, from Chris Lord Al- Alge, I think is how you pronounce his name, and uh, they were connect- they were separated. Uh, and our goal was kind of if the band give them, gave them to us in a certain format, we tended to use them that way. Uh, and then the second thing I realized is that while having you know them combined meant there wouldn't be a single vocal-only song, it meant that a six-minute song would turn into seven minutes. And if you weren't a singer, you'd have a full minute of doing nothing while that song started. So um, we decided to keep them separated. Cool. Because sometimes you've got to keep them separated. <laughs> And thus they will remain the same when they are exported. Yes. Cool. A final question, possibly the most important, 
from our good friend and HMX alumnus, Vang, who you know as Eric Chan. Oh, I know him. Okay, I didn't I know, know Vang. Yeah. Um, he really pulled out all the stops on this one. He wants to know why, Chris Foster, you are so handsome. So I would answer this question, except that I know it comes from uh, kind of many, many months of him just sort of standing outside my window <laughs> with a boombox over his head. <laughs> and I really want to say, Eric, let it go. <laughs> I have a wife. I have a kid. I may be hot, <laughs> but you're going to find hotter men out there to stalk. <laughs> Do you think you might write a spec song? About it, about, about, about the about, situation, sort of like uh, I'll be, I'll be uh, uh, every breath you take, but from the other <laughs> point of view. Yeah, that could from the stop stop taking all my breaths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I would be it. Yeah. So Eric, Eric Chan is like the cat in in uh, Cat's Eye, the Stephen King story that steals your breath when you sleep. <laughs> uh, he's a, there's definitely like two or three Warner Brothers characters that are <laughs> sufficiently terrifying to embody Eric Chan. Anyway. <laughs> this, this has been all. derailed been... by Eric Chan. Um, great. Well, Chris Foster, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think I think the guys and gals on the forums love it when they can have their questions answered by real people that aren't just moderators like me. Um, so You're a real you person. Eh, kind of. Eh, yeah. Sort of. Half man, half tool. Um, and hopefully, half tool. <laughs> shaking my fist. You can't see it. Um, hopefully, they will be buying the game when it comes out. Yeah, I mean, I'm really psyched at how it came out. It's it's fun. It's pretty. I think it captures Green Day well. And the music itself is really fun in rock band. So I think you guys are going to like it. Um, and so it all exports into Rock Band 3. Yes, so it there's does. Like no reason not to get Rock it. Band Uno, Dos, Tres. Right. All uh, the rock bands. All the rock bands. And uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for sending in your questions. It was fun. Cool. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you next game. Bye. Definitely a song that made sense, and 
you know, it's something we wanted to do, so we're pretty stoked on it. Awesome. And are you guys, have you guys played rock band before? Yeah, yeah, we've all, we've all dabbled. I mean, it's one of those things that's tough to be on the road so much, you can't really, like, bring it on the bus, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, you know, so we're a bit more, yeah, constricted, but, you know, it's definitely rad. Nice. Have you been able to play your own track yet? I haven't, and that's that's the funniest thing, you know, so it's like we ask fans, like, oh, hey, have you, have you played it? Like, send us a video of you playing it, or, like, you know, tell us how it was, you know, <laughs> tell us how you did. That's awesome. Um, so we had a we had a couple of, of posters that was poking around on the forum today to kind of some big Silverstein fans, and a couple of folks wanted to know a little bit kind of about the story behind the lyrics in, in American Dream, especially the, the opening wedding day when my heart began to stray. Yeah, I mean, the lyrics were written by Shane, but it's all from our new album, Shipwreck uh, in the Sand, which is a concept record. It, you know, kind of begins, the story begins with um, um, the, the house of this family uh, burning down, and, you know, as you, as you dive in deeper, there's a lot of, like, kind of some health issues and some social issues, and, uh, and you know, there's some stuff going, some infidelities between uh, the husband and wife that was involved in that fire. So that's what, it, that, that part of the story kind of deals some of that aspect of it, you know, and you find out, like, in the track after about um, some of the infidelities that are going on between um, the husband's best friend and the wife and that kind of stuff. There's a lot of, like, like intermingling about all that kind of stuff. And every song, even though it kind of isolates itself as, you know, uh, in, the, in a context where it makes sense and still can be played on its own and musically makes sense and lyrically has its own context, still part of the greater package of the entire album, which is meant to be played from start to finish. Can you describe a little bit sort of your evolution as, as a band, as fully stuck to now with Shipwreck in the Sand? Yeah, I mean, we started 10 years ago where we were all a bunch of teenagers and, uh, you know, just living in the suburbs of Toronto, just playing music for fun and so we were still in school and all that kind of stuff. But, but you know, we, um, we worked really hard and, and we were able to, to get signed and, and just made a record and released that for the first time and that was that was a great experience and all we ever wanted to do was release music and, you know, tour a little bit and we thought that'd be really fun. But as things grew and grew, we got to take it more professionally and spend more time on songwriting and working with bigger producers and traveling to all over the world and you know with our latest record we wanted to, to get a little bit more ambitious we didn't want to just like go into the studio and record a bunch of songs we really wanted to like craft like a special piece of uh, music that you know had had a concept behind it was more involved there's more layering involved more instrumentation that was a bit more complex than anything we've ever done before so that, that's basically where, where it brings us up to speed now we have like four full-length releases that we did um, over the 10 years, and we're not looking at stopping anytime soon. Speaking of your music, I mean, I've, I've defined this uh, genre-wise as, as a for variety of things. Um, hardcore seems to be kind of like the label that you guys apply to yourselves most in. Um, what, is, what does post-hardcore mean to you? I, I think that makes the most sense in the fact that we draw a lot of our influences from, like, late 90s, kind of like hardcore, and and rock and emo and all that kind of stuff and you know while we don't sound directly like any of those bands and sometimes like if you were to take our influences and listen to us you'd be like well how did that end up where it did it's like if you really think about it and you listen to it it all makes sense and uh, in reality you know we're, we're influenced by a lot of like older artists that kind of did some things that we picked up on and maybe enhanced or like you know exaggerated in a certain way to come up with the style that we, we have today I think that's kind of what it means to us. Nice. Um, who do you guys listen to when you're on tour? 
like Tudorville. Um, well, we're, we're pretty pretty diverse. I mean, as a band, there's kind of like a collection of artists that have always influenced us and will always be our like collective favorite. I mean, everyone from like Lifetime to Grade, Mineral, Get Up Kids, you know, at the drive-in, um, all that kind of stuff. Like, is really predominant in our influences. But I mean, you know, we're even influenced by the Beatles and Metallica and yeah. you know everybody. Um, and individually, we're, we've all since then like on more of our modern influences of really kind of gone all in different directions. Like I, I like a lot of like more indie stuff, and you know Shane likes a lot of pop stuff, and Bill likes a lot of punk stuff, and we're only kind of all over the place, which is good. I feel like when we go back to the songwriting table to draw in new influences that still you know, relate back to what kind of started the band and what influences uh, originally. Well. I'll let you go. I won't keep you too much longer. Is there anything else that you want to cover or say to your fan about, you know, like your DVD or anything before we get off the phone? Yeah, sure. Um, well, a couple things. We have a live DVD CD coming out June 8th, and it's a pretty big package. It has 22 tracks on the CD. It has 17 fully edited songs on the DVD with, like, a documentary intertwined. and has all 10 music videos that we've ever made on there. And it's a pretty big package and it's wow. something that I understand that, you know, it's more for, I guess, fans that maybe have been into us before, but even if you never have, it's also a good gateway to see that, you know, have a pretty big career, a big catalog, and we we had four nights in Toronto where we performed every song and that's how we put this package together. Oh, that's incredible. So it's something, yeah, we're really, really proud of it. It's a really big package and something that we're excited about, so it comes out June 8th and then we... Uh, resume tour in America on July 7th, and all of those details can be on our website. Well, we should keep a lookout. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us and to talk about Rock Band yeah, Network no and everything going on. And, um, yeah, for those of you who are going to be listening to this MP3, <laughs> you can check out American Dream up in the Rock Band Network store now. Deftones 3-pack, which starts off with Hole in the Earth. Aww. Yeah. And then also has Cherry Waves and Minerva. Um, along with the Deftones 3-pack this week, we've also got two singles, one from Boys Like Girls, the song's called The Great Escape, and one from Crown of Thorns, and the track is called Rock Ready. Yeah. 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 It's all sorts of excellence in today's sinkhole. Yeah, we're dedicating this DLC sinkhole along with the Deftones track, Hole in the Earth, to the good people of Guatemala. Yep, and to the internet, All right. which is not always correct. I'll buy it, and yeah. to the internet, sure, why the not? The internet would just always If it wasn't for the internet, sinkhole. no one would know about the giant sinkhole in Guatemala. That's true. Yep. Except for the people, people of Guatemala. read the news or <laughs> word of mouth I only get, Express. I only get... <laughs> I only, get the the news. <laughs> I only get the news from you guys, and you guys get the news from the internet. Yeah. So I don't know how trustworthy it is. It's all the way trustworthy. I oh. get my news exclusively from Twitter. Oh, so let's talk about the Deftones track. So we, uh, before we had to delete the entire first recording, <laughs> we had a lengthy discussion about the track Minerva. Because, Mr. Pope... My great aunt was named Minerva. I did not know that that is a first name, a proper name. It is. It's one of those old tiny names. Yep. <laughs> Mr. Pope's great aunt also teaches at Hogwarts. Yes. Yes. Mr. Pope is the new Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I've got a lightning bolt on my forehead. Yep. <laughs> and you have a magic wand. <laughs> he lives in Gryffindor and he plays the game, game with the brooms. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it's <laughs> called. Game. Kyle, you know. What? Quidditch. <laughs> Quidditch. That's a Harry Potter. It's, like, uh, it's a Harry Potter thing. Polo. It's intense. Yeah. They fly around on brooms. Um, I wonder if the Deftones like Harry Potter. I feel like they probably do. I've Maybe heard that their been. album, Saturday Night Wrist, is based on Harry Potter. <laughs> really? Yeah. Did we get any songs from that album, Allie? I don't know, Kev, did we? <laughs> I believe the song that we've dedicated to the good people of Guatemala was off of that 2006 release. I believe that uh, that track was also their first radio single from that album. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And Cherry Waves, we're thinking, is also Saturday Night Wrist. I did not look that song up. There's a correlation. <laughs> I, looked, I, looked up, I looked up everything. And the supposedly reliable website I looked it up on was wrong. Did the website you looked it up on also tell you they formed in 1998? Yes, that's what I was yelling. They formed in 1988. Yeah, they've been around for a long time. Hey, Serge Tankian was a co-collaborator on Saturday Night Wrist. There you go. Everyone loves Serge. We've released tracks for him. I think the first Deftones song. Well, I got introduced to the Deftones when they did uh, the song "Passenger" with with Maynard James Keenan from Tool because I was a huge Tool fan at the time. Um, and that was my introduction to the was Deftones. Was it The Passenger? Or is this, like, was it a remake of the Iggy Pop song? Or was it its own original um, song? I think it is not a remake. Okay. I think it's their own song. But I am not that familiar with Iggy Pop, sadly, so mm. I could be wrong mm. about that. Sort of. I'm, I'm a big fan of their earlier stuff. I haven't really listened to them in a few years, but I got into them. Minerva was actually the first track of theirs I ever heard, uh, because when I was moving to England, a friend of mine put it on a mix CD, and I thought it was pretty awesome. The other tracks we have this week, so moving on, we've got Boys Like Girls, The Great Escape, and then we've got Crown of Thorns, Rock Ready, and that track, I'm thinking I'm kind of stoked on because uh, Crown of Thorns is features Jean Beauvoir from the Plasmatic. Uh, that's his band. It's pretty interesting. I think for those of you in podcast land who really like the 6AM DLC, like Nikki Six's side project, I think you'll really dig this track. It'll probably be a must buy for you. And um, you know, just if you're fans of the Plasmatics and for old time's sake, you wanna. <laughs> I think the Deftones will be really good for rock band because they've always claimed diverse influences uh, with their musical styles diversifying over their career. Their sound's been described as alternative metal, alt art rock, dream pop. Dream pop? Really? Dream pop. Sounds delicious. I didn't know that was a genre. <laughs> Experimental rock, new metal, post-grunge, progressive rock, and rap metal. My favorite genre. Rap metal? <laughs> really? I want to Rap metal and dream yeah. pop are probably two things that I would never yeah. use to describe the, dra- the Daptones. Dream you guys, pop. can we start a dream pop band? Sounds like we already just frozen trees. That does sound good. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, finish this segment and go eat some I would like pops. a cherry wave dream pop. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're going to climb out of our sinkhole and I'll go eat cherry wave dream pops. Disgusting. Yay. See y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Hi, Harmonix. This is um, Yamster from Sarcastic Gamer, and I think you should put this voicemail on your podcast just because I'm Scottish and this makes me special. I don't really have much to say. I just figured I'd leave a... What's it called? A voicemail, that's the one. I figured I'd leave you a voicemail because you're awesome and I'm awesome and we share this and that's about it. Thank you. Yeah, skip ahead. <laughs> <laughs>
ten minutes. Way more than ten minutes. <laughs> We're gonna edit out most of the talk that you just had about hot dogs. That was not appropriate. Um, there's, we'll edit out all the great details about Rock Band Three. Yeah. Oh, crazy. <laughs> Sorry. Put that accordion oh, down. There's a, <laughs> there's a reason we we put we put time and signature markers in the podcast write-ups, and today is the first day that they will have any really. Good <laughs> so wait, there, there is no real reason, but from now on, <laughs> for now on, the. the this will make you laugh.